Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. Hello to those watching on YouTube and to those listening. I'm Andrew Menzel. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Dennett. Paul, what an emotional week for cricket fans. Yeah, it certainly has been. It's hard to process it still, even these many days out. And um, I wake up each morning with a sense of sadness. And it's ridiculous, as I said before, for, uh, you know, I never met Shane Warne. It really shouldn't be having this sort of impact. Um, but I think for a lot of cricket fans and just sports fans in general, it has. And just the shock of someone so full of life dying at such a young age, it's just um, it's just sad. And I'm um, not sure when that uh, lingering sadness will end. Yeah, I was listening back to bit parts of our show we did the day after we heard the news on Saturday or later that day. And boy, did we both sound um, worn out and emotional and uh, just, you know, sort of taking in all the reactions since then. Um, as you say, it, it's really, um, you know, it's really affected me as well as it's affected you, like uh, seeing Ricky Ponting break down, uh, seeing the emotional responses of all his former teammates. Uh, it's just such a great loss. And, yeah, you know, there's sort of news, you know, come out that maybe he had um, heart disease um, and there were some warning signs before he went on holiday. But just the most awful thing for his family. I don't know if you caught those statements by his um, parents yeah. and children, but, you know, that was really um, heart-wrenching. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just it's just ghastly, and um, yeah, I mean the the reaction aside from the grief um, is actually bigger than I even expected. Not that I'd ever given it any thought, but when it happened, I knew that this was going to be 
quite a significant reaction, but the especially in England, the, the level of coverage that it's got was even slightly bigger than than I had expected, which um, further emphasises, apart from the human tragedy, what a great loss it is for, for cricket, that cricket's most famous person, along with Tendulkar. But I think in the Western world, um, certainly cricket's most famous person and the most uh, lightning rod for cricket's interest um, to have him to, to die is, um, you know, very sad for the sport, much, much less sad than the actual tragedy itself. But it, it is a sad moment for cricket, definitely. Yeah, and uh, the reaction all around the world has been massive. There was this strange story that emerged where a, a German woman was somehow lo- allowed to be alone with Warren's body in the back of the ambulance, and actually the ABC were able to catch it on film. Uh, like a, a very peculiar. I, I don't know what was going on there, but uh, just that must be awful for the family. Like, why, why would you want some stranger being near the body? It's one of the great indignities of death, I suppose, that you can be rich and powerful in life, but then when when something like this happens, suddenly you're at the, you know, you're in a foreign country, you're sort of sub, um, subject to the vagaries of that country that if they want to do an autopsy, they'll do an autopsy, that, you know, that, that a beloved person, you're no longer in control of, of, of what happens. And it's, um, you know, it's just one of the many horrible situations that that incident in itself was not significant, but I take your point that it's just a further um, indignity and sadness and um, just it's just wrong. Mm, like, did she take photos in the back there of the body? I mean, I'm just speculating, but it just gives me um, goosebumps, you know, thinking about that situation. Um, they, they have announced that the public memorial service will be on March the 30th, and I think it's going to be at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. I think it'll be a moving occasion. Yes, and, um, you know, Melbourne usually do these things well and they deserve, it deserves to be done extremely well. You know, they should, you know, providing it's safe to do so, get 100,000 people there and make sure that everything goes off without a hitch, that the acoustics are working brilliantly, that all the speakers do a wonderful job and that it's a fitting, um, you know, a fitting memorial for his life. And I'm sure that they will. Mm. Yeah, I um, was just speaking to my wife and she said to me, do I want to go down for it? Have you thought about going down to Melbourne for the service? I haven't given it any thought, but it's a possibility. I went across to Adelaide, to Bradman's back in 2001 at the Adelaide Oval. Oh, did you? What was that yeah. like? Um, It was good on one hand because... It was quite nice, but it was a very cold night in March. There was rain around. There were only about, I don't know, 2,000 people there, which was fine because we all sat in one of those um, old uh, sort of terracotta roofed stands that used to exist there, and it, it looked perfectly nice. But I, I remember thinking at the time, this deserves a bigger, um, something bigger than this. But, um, you know, it was, it was, it was nice. It was, a, it was a highlight. It was great to be there. Uh, but um, I'm sure that the, the one for Shane Warne, if they do get a packed-out MCG, will be a, a more gra- a grander occasion. I think it's partially as well that, um, you know, if Don Bradman had died in, um, what, 1960, he would have been 52. Uh, and if the world of 1960 had the modern uh, sort of style, then it would have been massive. But when someone dies at 92, it's it's, it's a different feeling, I think. Mm. And... 
yeah, Warren was such a part of Melbourne life. And I think, yeah, you're right, there'll be a massive crowd there. Uh, maybe you and I should go down together and um, soak it in because maybe it'll be cathartic to farewell him. I know um, I'm going to be writing with uh, the actually the original founder of this podcast, the Australian Cricket Podcast, James McSmith. We're actually going to be writing our story of following the 99 World Cup. Um, and that's going to be published, I think, on the day of the funeral in the Daily Telegraph. So, um, yeah, just just thinking back over all the memories of Warren and his great bowling. I mean, that's what I've loved watching this last week. It's just his craft with the ball. I mean, that was every time you turn on the highlights of him bowling, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. That's that's great that you're getting that published. That's really good for you. Um, well done to you and Maka. I look forward to to reading that. And yeah, definitely, I'd um, um I'd give some serious consideration to going down. I haven't given any thought till now, but yeah, it's something I would consider doing. And you're right around the highlights as well. That I thought that I knew every wicket that he'd taken, but in looking back at the, all these highlights, um, you know, seven hundred and eight plus the however many in the the one day as you know, it was about a thousand altogether. There are quite a lot and. I saw one yesterday when he took seven for 22 against Pakistan in 95-96. And that was a match that I'd largely forgotten. But, uh, you know, some of the balls that he bowled in that were incredible. And that's the, yeah, when someone is, who I think I followed, I watched probably every single ball he bowled in Australia and almost every ball he bowled overseas. And I thought I had a good memory. Um, for a seven for 22 to be totally forgotten is an example of just how much he did. Yeah. And... Uh... Uh, yeah, just incredible. I, I mean, I've loved the um, on Fox Sports when Shane Warne and Mark Howard, they sat down during the first lockdown in 2020 and did mm. some extensive kind of podcasts. They were like, you know, a couple of hours talking in depth through games. I've caught a couple of them and I've enjoyed it, but it, it, it's, it's a bit hard watching Warnie at the moment, I've got to say, talking like I just can't believe he's not here still. It's uh, still sinking in and yeah the other reaction I caught was Michael Clark we know he and Warren are very close you know he said some very moving things on um Channel 9's Today Show um so just just yeah look uh, I don't know if you want to add much more to it um I want to cover the test and all the cricket news but yeah just you know I want to send my love to all the cricket fans out there that have that this is affected I know it's gone right around the world and you know, I've just got Warney's kids in my um, thoughts at the moment because of what they're going through and his, his parents and his ex-wife. But, yeah, just sending my love to all the fans out there that are, you know, missing Warney like we are. Yeah, it is very hard watching him in those recent interviews because he just seems so fit and healthy and full of life and energy. So, it's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough watch. All righty, so change your tone. We're going to get into the cricket headlines, see that excellent segue. And we've got some show news. So... Jaleesa Apps is still part of the show. She's not here today, uh, but she is starting a, a radio show, which is going to be on SCN on Sundays. I think it's going to be like Sunday crunch time with Jaleesa Apps, and I think her co-host is going to be Stephen O'Keefe. Now, I ran into – I was supposed to be commentating with O'Keefe this week, but uh, but uh, we were cancelled, but I did spend enough time with him to just feed him a lot of Jaleesa information um, about Burua, about her technical ineptitude and a few other things I'll just, um, you know, let be surprised for her when they get on air. Uh, but really looking forward to that. She will be back on Cricket Unfiltered, uh, but she, she's she been, uh, you know, pulled from pillar to post at the moment. Yeah, as I said last show, it's fantastic that she's getting um, 
a weekend show with Stephen O'Keefe. Um, and so, yeah, I encourage everyone to listen on SEN. And, yeah, Stephen O'Keefe didn't even know about this podcast. So I don't know if Julissa tells anyone she's on a cricket podcast, but I guess that's what happens when you're um, on TV and stuff. And the other news is we've got an intern. Now I'm going to bring in James. He's he's he, we've we've tarred and feathered him on the last show, but we've let him out of that now. So we've got James Muggeridge. James, welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks for uh, offering to be our intern. Thank you, Manners. No, it's a, it's a, it's great to be a part of it. Been watching it for a bit now, um, and yeah, it's exciting. Excellent. Well, we'll work on the delivery and the content, but, um, yeah. you know, re- really glad that you're our intern. Um, you know, he James actually reached out and offered. He, now, you've just finished studying. You're going to be doing an internship soon. Um, so I think, you know, it's great to have you on board working with us. And we will weave you into the odd show as you, um, you know, find your feet with Cricket Unfiltered. Um, but, yeah, thanks very much. No, thank you, Menas. Yeah, very, very excited. All right, that was um, James. We'll get rid of him. Um, yeah, look, he's, he's got potential. <laughs> and I actually said to James, he doesn't hang, have to hang around for the whole recording, but I, he's he is producing a series for us on social media called the Captain Series. So Cricket Unfiltered has, you know, had over a dozen Australian captains and he's going to be um, – producing highlights of those interviews over the next couple of months. So keep an eye out for that one on our social medias. All right, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Well, Australia and Pakistan played out a laborious draw with the game going the full five days. Pakistan made 476 for four declared. Australia replied with 459, and then on the last day, Pakistan were none for 252, with Shafiq making 136 and Imam al-Haq making 111, making that twin centuries for Imam al-Haq's relative um, in that game. Paul, what are your impressions of the match? Well, two very different impressions. Number one, it was a triumph. Uh, the the crowd was superb. Um, it was wonderful to see cricket back uh, involving Australia in Pakistan after 24 years. The match went off without a hitch. Um, the the vibe between both sets of players was it's what I want cricket to be, and I was really really heartened by that. I love it. You know, there was full on competitiveness. There was some um, searing bounces that um, Shaheen Sharafredi was de- delivering and. Um, and um, Nassim Shah was delivering as well. There was no quarter asked and none given. But in, around, in and around that, there was none of the, the nonsense that I've seen in so many times with Australia in the past, that there was um, a point on the final day where Shafiq defended a ball. It was sort of uh, bouncing around on the crease or rolling around on the, on the, near the stumps, and it had almost come to a stop, and he picked it up and threw it to the Australians. Now, I have seen in the past when a ball has been stationary two metres from the stumps and a a player from the batting side has gone to pick it up and throw it to the Australians and they've screamed at him, don't touch it, because they had this whole mindset of, that's our ball, it's our sacred ball, we will keep it and, you know, don't you dare touch it. And they were kind of, you know, carrying on like pork chops. This time, for a microsecond, Steve Smith, at first slip, looked aggrieved 
And then both he and Kerry just started chuckling because there's no reason not to chuckle. The ball wasn't going to go back onto the stumps. Probably he should have waited another second before picking it up. Maybe he shouldn't have picked it up at all. But it was harmless and it was nice to see that reaction. So on so many fronts, it was a triumph um, for cricket. Pakistan can say, you know, we played well. You guys couldn't get us out. Um, we got you out. So maybe if you'd taken a few more wickets, it would have been better. But on to point two, you just can't say anything other than the fact that the pitch was unacceptable. It was too boring. We criticised the hell out of the MCG pitch in 2017-18. We've criticised the SCG on numerous occasions. We've criticised various other grounds in Australia for being slow and low. My friends, some of whom I use as barometers of cricket, some of whom don't watch a lot, were very eager to watch this match because of all the hype around it. And then I'll tell you what, they're not watching the second test match. I can promise you that. And for all the Pakistanis who say, well, you know, that's the way it goes, you've, you've shot yourself in the foot a little bit because for future TV rights and for future interest, if this had been a really uh, entertaining pitch uh, and produced the, uh, you know, an entertaining match, would have been so much better. So hopefully we see something better in the second test in Karachi. But, yeah, very, very different views um, uh, overall on the match. Mm. I, I hated this match. I, I did not get into it at all. I was disgusted at Australia's team selection. I thought it was insipid to go in with three quicks. Cummins has got to get used to the fact that he's going to have to tap Hazelwood and Stark on the shoulder one time, even though there is mates and saying they're resting or missing a game. So I, I, I didn't get into the game at all because that first day was so boring. And as you say, the pitch was lifeless. But then I've got to say the Shane Warne news kind of, sucked a bit of the oxygen out of yeah. out of the whole contest for me. Wasn't quite in the right frame of mind to really get into it. So I want to put that out there. But, I mean, let's start with the pitch. I said to you and Barrett on our preview that there's no way Pakistan will leave any life in that pitch. And I was right. And since the game, the Pakistan Cricket Board chairman, Ramiz Raja, and this is Pete Lawler writing in the um, News Corp papers, that Ramesh Raja has conceded that Pat Cummins was right and the historically bad pitch at Rawalpindi was designed to blunt the Australian bowling attack. And then Raja also um, said that he's looking to improve the pitches in Pakistan, but he's just got the job and soil is coming from Australia. So if we go there in four years, Pat, Paul, we might have um, Australian wickets over there. So so that, that would be good. Um, so I do not think it is good when Pakistan do what they did and just take all the life out of the wicket and ruin the contest. But I, I think they kind of needed to go further and like scuff it up, make it spin, at least do something. If you're not going to leave any life for the quicks, go the other way and do what the Sri Lankans did, get a broom with um, metal, like didn't the Sri Lankans take a, a broom with, you know, metal bristles and just brush the, the top of the pitch. I mean, maybe they could have done something like that, but what we got, as you say, was unsatisfactory. It was very, very tough to watch. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack it in that. I, I suppose it's important to look at it from the from the Pakistan point of view as well, and to say, okay, we haven't had one of the big three in generations. We've finally got Australia back here now. You look at the side, and they've got how many players ranked in the top ten with both bat and ball. People are saying this is not a great Australian side. It's not far short of it. You know, you look at some of the players in there, Warner, Smith and Labashane, plus um, Hazelwood, Stark, um, Cummins, throw in Lyon. And, you know, when you've got a side where some of the weaknesses are sort of like Travis Head, who's a very, very fine player, it's a pretty good side. And I, I suppose Pakistan were thinking we don't really want to get humiliated 
on um, our return, that Australia destroyed England. We don't want that to happen to us. So I can understand from that point of view where you haven't had any cricket or virtually no cricket in your country for so, so long, you, it could it could make you feel rather conservative. So I'm kind of willing to give them a get-out-of-jail-free card on this one, but I really want to see something um, in the second test in Karachi. But as a secondary point, I just still, I always make this point. I object to the notion that home ground means that you prepare the pitches to suit yourself. And everyone says, oh, but the Australians do that. We actually don't. Our pitches are produced to try to make good cricket. And, of course, they have an inherent advantage to us because they're the pitches that we have grown up playing on. But they're the same, by and large, year in, year out. Yeah, sure, sometimes you get a bit of a dud and and the SCG has stopped spinning a little bit. But when the West Indies were at their height, we didn't make the whacker slow, and which we should have done if we were going to do that. When Warren was at his height, we didn't make the whacker a raging turner. We kept things fairly consistent. And I think that if Pakistan had just produced the best pitch they could have at Raul Pindi, then it would have been a much better spectacle. And ironically, as you said, um, uh, Menas, they might have actually won the game because I think Australia actually take plenty out of this. I know we went for 180 runs per wicket. It's the second most runs conceded per wicket in the history of cricket, in the history of test cricket. But three out of four occasions that we've been to the UAE and, and they've batted first, they've got a big score. We've been rolled. And the fourth time we only survived due to a miraculous century from Usman Khawaja. This was a match we should have lost. They got 460 for not many declared. We should have got bowled out for 200. They should have slapped 200 and then rolled us on the last day. So I think Australia, although our bowling attack looked impotent, can go to the second test feeling, yeah, actually, we're feeling okay about things. I agree with that last point about the Australians. I don't think Lyon will be too happy with his game, but all the batters got some time out there apart from Head. So that that's really good for the next match. And because of the astute captaincy on the last day, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, even Lyon didn't bowl that much on the fifth day. Um, just sort of moving back to the, the, the cricket uh, and what we were saying about the brand, I mean, the point was made, I heard Damien Fleming talking about the 94 and 98 tours, that it was actually very similar cricket then, that there weren't a lot of results. I think there was only two results in six test matches across two series. And one of them was the last wicket result in 94, where Inzamar Malhak um, came down the wicket and missed that ball. And um, Healy missed the stump Greatest in that famous... Greatest keeper of all time? Oh, no, maybe keeper was better. Maybe Gilchrist was uh, Triggered. Hashtag triggered. <laughs> and then in 98, I think Australia won the first test match against um, in Raul Pinley, but then the rest were drawn and we did see a lot of batting. So I guess the, the, the sort of character of the game is not actually far removed from what traditional test cricket like is like in Pakistan. The only thing I will say is though, I thought Pakistan were disappointing in the first innings. Once they got on top, I think they could have tried to move the game a bit further on with their... I mean, they made 460-odd. It was almost two days. And I think they could have put the foot down a bit earlier and just tried to rack up that score a bit quicker and have a bit more time bowling at Australia. Look, I, I, I take your point and Fleming's point that this is kind of typical for Test cricket in Pakistan. And I'd say that, therefore, now's the time to change that because th- this is typical. It's not good. I mean, what's the average daily crowd for test matches in the history of Pakistan? I don't know what it is, but it wouldn't be very many. People aren't stupid. People don't want to watch this. This was not watchable. And that, that's not to take away anything from the way that the Pakistani batters played. And, of course, that they took loads of wickets. They took 10 wickets. We only took two. But if you produce an attractive pitch and the next two test matches result in Australia winning thrilling games and, and Pakistan lose the series 2-0 
that's a better result for Pakistan than if they produce two roads and Pakistan sneak a win and, and, there's, and there's a draw and they win the series 1-0. The 2-0 series lost to Australia in highly competitive cricket with the eyeballs of the world watching it will redeem um, test cricket in Pakistan. As it stands, you know, before this uh, show, I was saying, I, I want to go to Pakistan. Before this test match, I want to go to Pakistan to watch test cricket one day. I still do for the culture and everything else. But as things stand, I'm thinking, well, the actual match, the actual cricket itself is going to be a punish. And I'm not sure if I'm so keen on that. Mm, maybe, yeah, you're right. What did you think about the Australian decision not to pick a second spinner? It just floored me. You've got Travis Head bowling before lunch on the first day. I don't understand why there was not a second spinner picked. I would have had Swepson, Lyon, and then the two quicks, probably Stark and Cummins, but you could go Hazelwood Cummins. It just seemed like such a weak selection and it was proved to be wrong so quickly. Poor Nathan Lyon, he bowled 52 overs in the first innings, 26 in the second. I mean, just too much for him to do, too much pressure on him to take the wickets. I I think it was, I agree, I I think it was the uh, disappointing team chosen, but entirely predictable. This is Australia's cricket, great strength Mm. and our great weakness. The anti-conservative. Yeah, anti-intellectualism even. It's like, no, no, no. This is our side. We won in India in 2004, picking our best side. That's what we're going to do. Um, and so I, I thought that was the wrong thing to do um, then. And I think it was the wrong thing to do. But I, it wasn't unexpected. I don't think it's the biggest issue. And quite frankly, um, I, I don't think it really mattered who we picked. This game was probably um, always sadly going to end in a draw. But um, it's going to be interesting what they do in the second test. There is talk that they are going to pick Swepson. And look, I, I know it's not going to happen and I don't want to sound like I'm, um, you know, mindlessly bashing Nathan Lyon. But, you know, if you were forced, Menas, to put your life on the result of the next test match, um, would you pick Nathan Lyon? I mean, if the pitch looks like it's roughly similar to this, I know that Karachi tends to spin more. But looking at the figures across the UAE and Pakistan, where the, the conditions have been fairly similar, Nathan Lyon averages 65, and he takes his wickets one every 126 balls. I think they should seriously consider picking Agar and Swepson for the next test. Well, that's an astounding but not surprising call from you, Paul. And, look, it it even highlights why you shouldn't go in with just one spin into that first test match because the Lions' record is no good. I would stick with Lion. um, Even if your life is on the line. Yeah, if my life was on the line, because I don't rate no, Agar. As if, I don't rate my life or <laughs> Agar very highly as a red ball bowler. I do, I do think Lyon is a better red ball bowler. I think there was too much pressure on him. Uh, but you, look, you're right. You know, he's, he's got a concerning record, but it was a flat pitch, nothing in it. Let me just say, I agree. I rate Lyon as a much better red ball bowler than Agar. Um, and Lyon's record in Australia is really, it's second only to Warren's. And every spinner except for Lyon and Warren in Australia get pummeled. So he's done really, really well. I just think in these subcontinental conditions, um, a left-arm orthodox with a bit more of the trajectory of um, a little bit quicker through the air like Agar might do better. I'm not saying that I don't think Lyon will do okay. He might do quite well in the second test because if, if, the, if the conditions offer a little bit more, he will come into it. And I don't think he bowled terribly. I'm, what I'm saying is, if he takes eight wickets in the second test match, it's forbidden for you to replay this saying he should be dropped because I still think that's that's absolutely <laughs> fine. I'm just saying on balance, 
I would put Agar and Swepson in, but I would still have Lyon for future test matches. I'm not saying that's the end for him, obviously. Thank mm. you. I, I was saying going into this last summer that maybe Swepson could overtake Lyon as Australia's number one spinner, but that was sort of at the beginning of the summer and then with COVID and the, the sort of the way the, the season worked out in the rain, Swepson hasn't got much of an opportunity. But, yeah, love to see him play. Let, let's talk about the Aussie batting. Lots of positives. Australia um, made 459, an opening partnership of 156 between Warner and Kawaja. Warner made 68. Kawaja made a heartbreaking 97. In the city he was born in on the verge of a, a century and then he um, got out reverse sweeping, caught off the glove. Um, two great innings, though, and then minus with 90. And I think that the thing that was also pleasing about it was that we didn't lose wickets as we've done in the past in the subcontinent where unplayable balls just ultimately wore us down. You, you could say, I, I'm not criticising the shots that they played necessarily, but they weren't magnificent balls that got them out. Kawaja was, what, was reverse sweeping. Warner probably made an error of footwork. Smith was playing a sweep to a fairly negative line outside um, leg stump. You know, there, was, there were... Um, not fantastic spin balls that got them out. And, you know, and Labashan got out to the quick. So that was encouraging as well. What I'm saying is Australia got just over 400. I think the way we were batting, you know, we could have even got a lot more, which is not bad given we'd had no practice whatsoever. It's our first hit out in Pakistan. We'll, we'll be better for the run, I think. Mm. Yeah. And uh, uh, Smith, 78, missing out on 100 again. He looked really frustrated. I think it's now 27 test innings without a test century. Smith, um, so he'll be um, keen to switch that one up. Um, then Head was out for eight. Look, if you could have scripted a head dismissal to the tweaker, that's what I would have said. That, that, that's what I would have written, you know, just flat playing at one, caught behind. Um, Green made a, a good 48. I thought that was promising science for him. He's only played in the subcontinent on underage tours, never with Australia. So it was good for him to get used to conditions. Carey, 19, got a jaffa. Um, so, yeah, look, a good performance with the bat. I think a lot to work on um, going forward. Yeah, I think it was, it was, it was pretty good. And um, as I said, in, in, in another iteration with another team, Australia might well have got beaten here. So it'll be really interesting to see if the second test does offer more for the spinners, how they go under you know more challenging conditions. And... Um, I was pleased that my man uh, Norman Ali, who I picked out as might be doing okay, got um, got six wickets. I took you know six for hundred. I wasn't lucky; went through them, but um, pretty good return mm. for him. Absolutely. The the other stat that jumped out was um, the, the 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 historically bad performance by Australia with the ball. So across seventy seven overs in the second innings and one hundred and sixty two overs in the first innings, they only took four wickets. And there was some stat that that's the second worst ever returned by a bowling side in test cricket. Yes. <laughs> That's not something they'll be happy. And I think this is the only test match ever where all three innings have had a century opening stand. Yes. And um, had we gone on to day eight, um, you know, if Pakistan had declared it nine for a thousand, uh, Warner and Kawaja might have made it all four on day eight. They could, have, they could have been playing on day 10 and they wouldn't have got a result. Um, <laughs> what about um, the next test? So they head to, is it Karachi now or Lahore? Yes, Karachi. Karachi. And Cummins floated the idea that they would play a second spinner. That would be the only change Australia would make. 
I guess then the decision comes down to Hazelwood or Stark. Who would you pick? Oh, I'd, I'd pick, I'd drop Stark. Um, and I think it's the one time maybe that Stark might not actually bother, might, might not be mind being dropped. I wasn't fast following. Oh, I'm dropped. I'm like, oh, darn. Oh, well, um, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, but I, I think that um, I wouldn't have picked Stark in this game. And I think I'd drop him for the next game. As I said, I'd drop Stark and Lyon and bring in um, Swepson and Agar. Um, but obviously that's not going to happen. I think that what they will do is probably drop Stark and bring in um, Swepson. I think that Stark didn't bowl badly. It was just a very, very flat pitch. And I think that up against Hazelwood, um, as good as Stark is, Hazelwood is better. I disagree with you. Uh, the notion that we can't contemplate um, resting Cummins, that, that's the wrong way to go around it. You pick your best 11, and then if the captain's in it, he's in it. If he's not, he's not. If Cummins needs to be rested, rest him, and someone else can captain. There's no problem with that whatsoever. We saw it this summer. It's not the end of the world. I'm not saying that I wouldn't pick him, but he shouldn't be an automatic selection. Mm. I think the fact that he's got the best bowling record in history probably means you should pick him. Um, you look at a different point. Are you starting just... a new conversation on a different point? <laughs> no. Why did you respond I... to my point? I was. I was saying like... to talk about something else. You, you extrapolated from what I said to uh, infer that I was implying that um, he's not the best, one of the best bowlers ever. Of course he is. I'd yeah. say he needs to be considered on his. Oh yeah, of course. Team. And I'd pick him. But, but mm, you've, you've yeah. said previously he's the captain, so therefore he has to play. I, I reject that. I rejected that with Mark Taylor all those years ago, um, and I reject it now with Cummins. Yeah, um, I, I think he will play. Um, my, yeah, of course he will play. I'm joking. <laughs> Uh, the the what, interesting point Damien Fleming made on the radio this week was that if you look at the balance of the attack, if you date, say pick Swepson, you'd be better off picking Hazelwood because say Swepson leaks a few runs, you probably don't want Stark who's a bit erratic at times as you, you're rather quick. So the balance of the attack will be better suited. Hazelwood, Cummins, Lyon, Swepson with Green as your fifth. Do you think Australia can win the next match? Yeah, oh, I think so. I mean, it, it, obviously conditions... Uh, as we were sort of told leading into this match that Raul Pindi was going to have a bit of on offer for the quicks and it kind of ended up having nothing on offer for anyone. We've also been told that Karachi is going to have a bit more offer on offer for the spinners. Let's see what we get. But if it is a pitch that is slightly more giving to the spinners and there's a little bit more there, yeah, if Australia get the better of conditions, then they, they certainly can win it. They're a very, very good side. I think it's almost a, um, a toss of the coin. If, if there's going to be a result... Um, I'd, if you said to me, definitely there's going to be a result of this next test, I'd say Pakistan 60-40, but, but only that, very close. Yeah, I mean, what did you think of Sajjan Khan and Nauman Ali? Um, I've heard Gideon Haig saying he really likes Sajjan Khan's head. He looks like um, <laughs> he's borrowed Shikha Darwin's moustache. Um, um, I, I really like him. I like his action and... Um, it triggered me a few years ago when Steve Smith was shown Clary Grimmett's action and sort of chuckled and said, you know, doesn't use his front arm much. And then kind of said, well, I suppose, you know, Dean Elgar's got me out a few times. But, you know, Clary Grimmett, one of the greatest bowlers ever, but grainy footage from the 1920s doesn't really do him justice. I think it's the same thing with this guy that um, you just look at the, where's his front arm gone? But then he's got a fair bit of power coming out of that arm. But I think, yeah, Ali looked um, uh, looked the better of the two. And I think that's why, you know, I like the notion of a left arm orthodox um, bowler in these conditions. Mm, I think if there is a bit of spin or uneven bounce at Karachi, we could be in trouble. I just, I just think they're the type of bowlers that could trouble us. They just seem to, yeah, they just attack the stumps. Not a lot. There wasn't a lot in that pitch. 
But I think if you had a bit of life in the pitch, Australia would get beaten on both sides of the bat like Jadeja does. And that's what I'm saying where I could – I'm not saying Agar's anywhere near as good as Jadeja, but I think he's improved a lot. And I, I just still um, – I said it on the other podcasts when I had a little bit of money on Sri Lanka in um, one of the T20s and they brought Agar on, I thought, oh, God. And it was proven right. It was just too good for them. And I know it's test cricket and a million miles away and everything else. I just think him bowling left arm – um, left arm round the wicket, aiming it at the stumps, some nibble away a bit, some go straight on with that extra pace. That's the sort of trajectory that can get wickets in um, in the subcontinent. But, yeah, I don't think they're going to play. All righty. Well, the match starts on Saturday night Australian time. Looking forward to that. Just, just before yeah. we get to that, um, I don't know how much of the actual commentary you listen to. Uh, I listen to a fair bit of it, um, but at times I had to mute it. I don't want to be overly critical because he wasn't terrible, but I found Kasprovich a bit boring. Um, I haven't mm. heard of him from him from a, in a long time, and he he struck me as like he's like um someone has gone and got him before the match to record 147 typical things to create a video game, and then they've just pressed play on the right <laughs> ones. Like he just he just says exactly what you'd expect, and I'm not sure I'm not sure how much Test cricket he's watched over the years. Like some of the things that he seemed a bit surprised by, I thought. Not saying he hasn't watched a game since he retired, but um, but he also he told that story, you know, the cliche we always laugh at. We go, oh, you realise Steve Smith was picked as a leg spinner originally, but he told that story. But he adjusted the principle to Manus Labuschagne. He said, you know, initially he was, I think he was picked as a leg spinner for Australia, and I was thinking, I don't think he was. No, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, he bowls I... as a leg spin, but it was a weird thing to say. Look, look, I have to say I didn't listen to a lot of the commentary. It was mainly just listening to podcasts about Shane Warne and crying while I watched the the TV. But but I actually did listen to the SCN radio commentary. I synced it up. And it was obviously unbiased because Pete Lawl is on it, who I love, and Adam Collins, who I'm a big fan of. And and then you know, they had Wackar Eunice and Isabel Westbury. And I actually found the SCN coverage exceptional. And our good friend Barrett Sunderason will be joining the commentary. We we prepped him last week with the preview podcast here, and then we sent him into the fire. Hope he makes oh, so it back. Got, okay. He's got the visa. He's, he's there. He's there. Oh, he's fantastic. In, he's, yeah, he's over there. So um, sent him a message this morning. Glad you're over there. And so we'll hear him commentating. So I actually really enjoyed the radio commentary if you want a break from the TV. Well, no, I mean, Casperich wasn't terrible. Um, I just thought, you know, I'd like to, him to add a bit more life. But I thought the rest of them were quite good. I really like Basid Khan from Pakistan. Mm. I always have liked him. I like Hazeman. Um, I really like Rob Key. I think he's excellent. Um, he is. And Kadich is, is really good. Um, and... Um, Wacker Eunice, um, yeah, you know, I could take him 11, but he's okay. Um, and um, who's the other guy? I've forgotten the other ones, the other person's name. I'll come up with it in a second. I don't want to forget their name. Okay. Uh, oh, one last thing um, before I uh, forget it. <laughs> Did you see the, the promotion they've got with the KFC bucket? No, what happened? Oh, KFC are geniuses. They've got this bucket that's not that big and you know, how many sixes are hit in a test match? Um, it's, it's not, not going to get hit. It's not going to get hit. Um, and if you hit it, you should get like $10 million or something. But if you hit it, they promise to give one worthy student a scholarship to college. And it's like, <laughs> am, I, am I hearing that right? Did they say what? Surely they said 1,000. Are they going <laughs> to give one student 
a, a scholarship to a college if if this highly <laughs> better be Harvard, better be Harvard or or Princeton or it better one of those be, Ivy yeah. League. It's for that. And one time, and the, the commentators have clearly been prepped to um, talk it up because at one point <laughs> a six was hit and it missed the sign by about forty-seven meters. And they go, "Oh, did that almost hit the bucket?" It's like, no, that didn't no. hit the bucket because the bucket's at square leg, and that went through <laughs> wide bit on. <laughs> I mean, so, it reminds me of that great comp in the um, old 50-over competition in Australia where the domestic one where they had the signs. And um, I think Steve Waugh hit one, Shane Lee maybe. Yeah, but at least Steve Waugh hit one and got a, a, like 140 grand yeah. um, back in the day when 140 grand, especially if they, they prorated it around the, the state players. For some of them who were earning, you know, peanuts, their share of it, you know, 12 grand or whatever they got would have been – uh, almost a life-changing amount of money. Mm, put um, the kids through college. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's where they got the idea from for this one. Yeah. <laughs> All righty, can we move on to the Women's World Cup now? Yes. So it started really well with some exciting games. Look, we're recording on Thursday the, um, what's the date today? The 10th of March. So yeah, there's games every day, but as it stands, Australia and the West Indies are on top of the ladder, both two wins from two matches. India won their first game against Pakistan. South Africa won their first game. New Zealand won one, lost one. England zero from two. But what's really stood out is the quality of the cricket so far has been of such a high standard. And already there's been three exceptionally thrilling games. I'll, I'll run through them quickly. West Indies beat New Zealand in the opener by just three runs. The West Indies made nine for 259. Hayley Matthews, 119 for 128 deliveries. And then New Zealand were bowled out for 256, despite Sophie Devine making 108. Then in Australia's first game, they played England and beat them by just 12 runs, with Australia making three for 310. Rachel Haynes, 130. A brilliant innings. And then in reply, England fell 12 short, 8 for 298. They almost had the game in the bag, but um, Nat Siver made a brilliant 109 not out. But in the end, they just choked again, a bit like the Test match. And then yesterday, as we record this, the West Indies beat England by seven runs. So that's three games with just very tight results. The West Indies, 6 for 225. England all out for 218. Not a good start for England. Great start for the tournament and great start for the Windies, Paul. Oh, it's really heartening because I, and along with most people, kind of were subscribing to that theory. Well, it's Australia, New Zealand, England, England and India, and the rest are going to make up the numbers. So the fact that the West Indies have got away to such a great start. That first game against New Zealand was quite a chaotic affair where New Zealand, with um, when Devine got out, they were gone. Then they um, they put on a late-order partnership to the point where they had it won. They, they only needed six off the final over, and they contrived to lose three wickets in the final over and not win the game. So, yeah, really exciting start there, and great to see that um, the West Indies are uh, doing well. My tip of the, the dark horse of Pakistan have had a shocker. Two losses and got pretty badly beaten um, by India, although India were um, uh, struggling and then um, had a middle-order partnership that got them up to a decent score. So, yeah, I've kind of been, unfortunately, because of Warren and because of the the first test, haven't been watching as much of it as I would have otherwise liked to, but I'm definitely keen to to really get into it now. Um, just back on what I was saying before, now that I've actually uh, looked it up, it's Aruj Muntaz is the other commentator, and she's pretty good as well. So I just wanted to um, cycle back to that. Mm, of course. Hope she's listening. Uh, well, yeah, so yeah, like you, I haven't 
really gone into the Women's World Cup for the last few days, just been putting it on every day. It's on KO Freebie. So everybody listening in Australia, everybody watching, can watch it for free on KO Freebies. And you can also watch me commentating on grey cricket. So it's a win-win. Um, so, look, let's keep an eye on that uh, tournament as it progresses. Staying on 50 over cricket and moving a bit closer to home, the domestic 50 over competition has its finalists decided. So Western Australia are playing New South Wales at Junction Oval on Friday, the 11th of March. So tomorrow it's a repeat of last year's final. In last year's final, New South Wales beat uh, WA on the back of a Jack Edwards century and a very slow Daniel Hughes knock. I don't know if you remember you, me, and Jaleesa trading messages that day about what was Hughes doing. Well, New South Wales won by almost 100 runs, so Hughes certainly knew what he was doing. Um, but it, the, the, the funny thing about this is New South Wales make the final. They had six games scheduled. Four of them were washouts. They only played two and they won them. So the way the sort of average points per game works out, they get through to the final against WA. Yeah, it's weird. I can't believe that's a year ago. I remember that I was playing basketball with my daughter and we're messaging, looking at the scores and messaging. I was watching Ollie Davies go and getting angry when he got out. <laughs> it seems like about yesterday. Um, but yeah, it's been ridiculous, the weather in New South Wales these last few weeks. That uh, I, I find it amazing that the, the game that you were set to commentate on Tuesday <laughs> at North Sydney Oval, yes. that they didn't call it off before the game. Like it was every other game. I was set to commentate a game um, in the Women's National, the WNCL, and they called that off on the um, three days before because they said algae was growing on the <laughs> on the ground. Like we went through a bicycle ride the other day um, and then saw footage a, a couple of days later that people where we'd been riding their bikes were doing riding jet skis, literally. That's how much um, rain has occurred in Sydney. So the, the drainage at North Sydney Oval, the fact that they hadn't called that before, the, the drainage must be the, like the best on, on the planet. And then they then... On that Tuesday, we ended up getting about a um, a thousand milliliters of rain. Anyway, so it was well and truly washed out in the end. Well, on Hurstville Oval, where you were supposed to commentate, I did see footage of people doing bombs onto the oval because (laughs) the water gathers around the bike track on the edges. Um, So you could do your laps around the oval swimming. Um, And and with North Sydney Oval, the crazy thing was you have no idea how dumb I felt doing this, Paul, because it was pouring with rain, but I still had to drive from my house to North Sydney Oval. I'm driving through torrential rain. I get to the car park and it's flooded. Like the, the, it's literally <laughs> there's half a foot of water in the car park. So I had to, you know, park on a higher level. I, you know, wade through the heavy rain, get to North Sydney Oval, then stops raining. And actually once it stopped raining, the water did start to disappear, but the ground was stuffed. I mean, there were mud patches on each end. You couldn't, you not play cricket there at all. So I was there for like half an hour and then I saw the two captains shaking hand and that was it. Um, and then I drove home. So like, that's the freelancer's dream. Mm, and then I drove home and um, it was raining the whole way. So just, you're right, it was very strange. But yeah, so that final, um, it's a star-studded Western Australian side. I think they've got nine or ten international players in their team. So they'll be hard to beat. I, I am looking forward to seeing how um, Ollie Davies, Jack Edwards, Jason Sanger, these youngsters go against Jai Richardson and Jason Berendorf in a, a really big game. Yeah, um, it's it's hard to get excited about it because of the fact that it's been so deprioritised because of the, the big bash. But when you mention it like that, 
um, yeah, I'm, you've, you've done well. You've got me enticed to, to, to give it a bit of a go. I'll be watching it. And I've got to say, I was gutted. That was going to be my first ever Marsh Cup 50 over game commentating. So um, that was ripped away from me. And I can sort of say I was, that's a, yeah, I didn't. I was, I was, you didn't call a ball this week. I didn't call a ball this week. So Yeah, but you were there. I mean, my hmm. um, the one day I've ever taken my daughter to the cricket was the final day of the 2017-18 um, Border Gavaskar Trophy, the SCG, which was, as it turned out, not a ball bowled. But, so she's been to the cricket, but she's never seen a ball. But she's been there the, the first time ever that Australia lost to Asian opposition in Australia in a test series. So I'm not sure she, she's only five. I'm not sure if she appreciated the history of it at the time. But um, she's been to a significant moment in cricket, yet never seen a ball life. Did she appreciate Shastri after the game going, a bullet across the Pacific? <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was, glad, I was glad I went for that, just for that press conference. <laughs> All right, now, next cricket headline. There's been a swathe of new laws brought in by the MCC. Um, so what are the laws stuck out to you, Paul? Which which of the laws? Excuse my language. Um, I think that the, um, the two that really stuck out were the fact that you can no longer use saliva on the ball and also that the um, you no longer have to worry about whether or not the bat is crossed in terms of choosing which end to go to. And I think that last one's a really pragmatic one and a real breath of fresh air that it's like, you know, it sort of, it seems right that if they've crossed, yes, the new batter should be on strike. But then it's like, it doesn't matter. It's not, not like Mars is watching us and judging us. We can do whatever we want. Um, you know, we, if, we, if we want to change the laws to make it easier for us, it, it, they're not going to be intergalactic consequences. So I think that's um, something that the, the 100 brought in and it doesn't happen very often, but it's just a nice, pleasant um, change. And it, it means that if you've top-edged one and it's going straight up in the air where you've been encouraged, you've got to, you know, go across and, you know, cross and everything. You know, you can just stand there in disappointment and, and watch as it's caught without moving. Something is a fire alarm going off in your house. Is are your cricket takes... Is, can you hear a beep or is it from yeah, there's my a truck. There's a truck right. out in the road. Uh, I um, thought your hot cricket takes had set the smoke alarm off or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. There's no reason to change it. Just There's no reason not to change it. Yes. Just because it's been done a certain way doesn't mean we can get the, the game better. And I heard Greg Chappell use this analogy is if we were starting from zero, like what would we do? Baseball. And there's a lot of things in cricket we wouldn't do. Yeah. <laughs> Basketball and soccer. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I think it actually is better for the game. Why waste time working out if batters have crossed? I think having the, the new batter on strike all the time is good. It leads to more excitement. Will he get out? All that sort of thing. So, in the end, great stuff, great decision. This is one that jumped out at me that I don't really understand. Law 21.4. Bowling, throwing towards strikers end before delivery. If a bowler throws the ball in an, in an attempt to run out the striker before entering their delivery stride, it will now be a dead ball. This is an extremely rare, rare scenario, which has until now been called as a no ball. Have you ever seen a bowler run in, stop before he bowls and chuck the ball at the striker's end? Yes. When? Once. When? Tell um... me. It was one of the very first things I ever saw in cricket. Jeff Lawson did it. I'm not sure whether I was – I might have even been at the at the SCG. I'm not sure whether I saw it live or on television. But he he ran into bowl, and then I think maybe the batter had 
preemptively advanced. That might have been right at the end of a one dayer. And so he just stopped and hurled it to the wicketkeeper. <laughs> wasn't doing much good because the wicketkeeper was standing, you know, 20 meters back. And everyone went, that was a bit peculiar. And I've never seen it again. But we well, you'll never see it again now. 30 years later, they've finally they finally closed this gaping hole yeah. in the cricketing laws. <laughs> I wish I'd seen it now. I wish I'd seen somebody just stop and have a just throw it at the at the batter. Um, now um, I, something's going on. There's some sort of roadworks going on outside our house now. So I hope that's not too loud. No, I can't hear it. Um, All right. A couple of other laws that I think are good. Um, they've said now that if a fielding side is um, caught moving the field after the bowlers started his um, delivery. Instead of it being a dead ball, it'll now be a penalty of five runs to the batting side. And that makes sense because it's sort of, it's on the fielding side to have the fielders in the right spot. It is funny though. It's again, a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist. Like the, you, you can throw in the law about the, um, um, this, this change to one that we just described where you, you can't throw it. If you throw it at the, um, to, to try to run the strike route, it's now going to be a dead ball rather than no ball. The fake fielding law that they brought in a few years ago that save, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you don't stop the ball but then pretend to throw it, that's a penalty of five runs that A, never happens, and B, if it did, it doesn't really matter. And the other one they changed where years ago, if you run in and you knock the stumps over in your act of bowling, that, again, which wasn't a problem, but that now become, became a no ball. And you think, why don't they just do something about overrates and actually do something that needs to be fixed Fix the pitches um, mm. rather than these obscure things. I mean, there's nothing wrong with fixing these, but God, there's a few other things that are crying out to be fixed. And then semantics entered it where they've moved uh, man catting. I use that expression in inverted commas. They've moved running out the non striker from being a law of unfair play to just a run out. Yeah. Oh, this probably satisfies some people. Some people get really exercised by this. They say, you know, it's a, if the batter is out of his crease, then it's fair play for the bowler. To, and I agree with that. And it shouldn't be a stigma. I agree with that. And they shouldn't call it after Mancat because he's a good player. He doesn't deserve his name to be associated with that. I agree with that. I just don't care. It's like I get worked up about a lot of things. The whole Mancatting debate, I just couldn't care less either way. Mm, yeah, I just think the batter's got to stay in his crease. Like, yeah, yeah bowlers I'm, can't I'm bowl, fine for them to make this change. Bowl, bowlers can't make bowl no balls. Why should batters be able to get a head start? I'm fine to make this change in the same way I'd be fine to find a, find a five-cent piece on the ground. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what if it was a $2 coin? Would it then oh, go no, above this? Yeah. Then it's above the man-cad change? Yes. I'd rather find a $2 coin on the ground <laughs> and this law go back to what it was. But I'd rather not. I'd rather the fixed overrates than find a thousand dollar check on the ground payable to cash. I'd, 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 I'd surrender that if they could fix the overrate problem and the pitches problem. So you're walking along and you see a check for three hundred thousand dollars, and they say to you, <laughs> "Look, we can fix overrates, pitches, and DRS if you just leave that check here." What do you do? I said a thousand. You added the three hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. I, I want to get a figure. If it was three hundred thousand, I would prefer. I would cash that check rather than have world peace. I'm okay, like, well, my, I'm you know, I'm generous to a point. But the three hundred thousand dollar <laughs> check, I you know, I, I, I <laughs> that's ahead of cricket. That's ahead of cricket. I don't, I don't like to say what I would do for that. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, well, that was the cricket headlines. One last thing by... on that. Um, yes, the saliva one. I know it's now become kind of de facto that that's the way the world is going. I just think it's a strange thing that when 
the, the pandemic first came in and they said one of the solutions is we're not going to allow saliva on the ball, you and I and everyone sort of said, oh, is that going to reduce the, the level of swing? And now it's just like, oh, well, we just seem to be okay with it. And I'm fine with that, but I think that the bowlers need something in return. I think it's time to say if it's clipping, it's out as far as LBWs are concerned. There was that one in the match here where Imam Al-Haq was LBW given not out and it was umpire's call on impact and umpire's call actually at the wickets themselves. That's the sort of thing that, like tennis, just if it's if it's a millimetre, it's out. I think the game would be better. And again, people would say, oh, but what about the benefit of the doubt and all these things? We can do what we want, just as we change the non-striking, the, the, the who faces the next ball rule if, if they have crossed or not. Change this makes it clearer and cleaner and a better game, and the bowlers need something. Yeah, I think the point in the the release about it was that uh, sweat does just as good a job as saliva, so they've mandated it. So if if that's what the bowlers are saying, they've probably got feedback from bowlers to say it doesn't How make a difference. Are they then? For 150 years, they could have just been using sweat rather than um, saliva. Like that's pretty dumb, isn't it? Yeah, but you've always said cricketers aren't the sharpest tools in the shed, so. Um, <laughs> Proves your point. All righty, that's the Cricket Headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. If you're watching live, put in any questions for us now. We're about to do Can't Let It Go. But a couple of things before we get to that. Firstly, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AusCricketPod, AUS Pod. That's where there'll be all the Captain Series social media posts. Also, if you have a moment, do us a favour. Go and leave a review for Cricket Unfiltered on whatever podcast app you listen to the show. And finally, we are looking for sponsors for 2022. So if you you do want um, to purchase ad reads for Cricket Unfiltered, get in touch at auscricketpod at gmail.com, auscricketpod at gmail.com, or um, just hit us up through social media. And I'll um, throw you back Paul, to our um, what I said before. What I'd do for $300,000, I will take that same logic to sponsors. <laughs> so if you're a... <laughs> <laughs> if you want no some crazy what stuff, you offer. <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we're in. We just want the money. Um, Paul, my, my can dream find... would be for the BCCI to sponsor us so that I could start then parroting BCCI propaganda with the biggest smile <laughs> on my face of all time. <laughs> that IPL was the best ever. Um, <laughs> where can I find you on social media, Paul? Um, uh, Twitter is Dennett underscore. The summer game is gone, my friends. And I'm at Amenas, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. All right, let's get into Can't Let It Go. I might do mine first, Paul, yep. and then we'll get into yours. So, uh, look, I went to the doctor maybe 10 days ago and the GP was saying, you're 45, you're due for a blood test, go and do it. And I have this terrible fear of having blood taken. I'm, I'm sure some listeners have the same fear. I just hate it last time i did it i passed out i vomited so i haven't done it for a while and my doctor was like you really need to go and get a blood test and since the death of shane warne it's made me steadfast that look i can't put this off any longer take some valium take the thing to uh, numb your arm and just go and get the blood taken to make sure everything's okay so look if you're in your 40s or 50s go you know just go and see your gp uh I, you know i think it's a, it's a wake-up call for all middle-aged men I agree with that. And uh, unless you're, I mean, I don't think you need to do those things. You don't need to numb the arm. You don't need to um, worry about it taking a Valium. For most people, you know, giving blood, if you, have, if you haven't done it for ages and you've been afraid, once it's done, you'll go, oh, was that all? Um, just don't watch it happen. Um, mm. And just sit there calmly afterwards. 
And yeah, and the results you'll get most likely will say you're fine, but your cholesterol is a bit high or something. Work on that. And that's the sort of thing that maybe stops you at some point five years down the track having a heart attack. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just think it was a wake-up call and I'm going to make sure I act on it and um, I encourage any listeners out there to do the same. Paul, what's your can't let it go? Well, after you've just given a, a life or death... Um, That's why I wanted um, to go first because update. I didn't want to end the show on such a downer. No, but mine, Everyone, mine's Everyone's gonna, not listening now. They're on the phone to their GP. Mine's going to sound really, um, really significant after that. Um, I think that Norman Alley should have been man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> and get your heart checked. <laughs> I just think it's, um, you know, I never I never normally care, but people do say it's a batter's game. And I think this is a further example of that. Sure, um, it was a, a fine double from Imam al-Haq, 157 and 111 not out, but... Azarali made 185. Shafiq made 44 and 136 not out. Kawaja and Labashain um, made 90s. Norman Ali took six for 107. So he's taken his wickets at an average of 17.8 per runs per wicket. The rest of the bowlers combined took eight for 1,080. <laughs> so, <laughs> across both sides, eight for 1,080 and an average of 135. So I just think given that every batter got runs and no bowler got wickets except for one, then the bowler in this instance did deserve to be the player of the match. But when it comes to urging you to get a heart checkup, I will, I will concede that Menezes uh, can't let it go is more significant than mine. <laughs> I think both were very important. Uh, well, 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 that's it for Cricket Unfiltered this week. Thanks to um, James. Uh, James, great show. Nailed it. First job, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I might have froze a little bit, but I'll work on it. I'll work on my live We'll get you sounding good. We'll get everything. Thank you. And that was James. Uh, and then I'm just before be... we go as well, just yeah. thanks to Shabal Khoury um, for his little joke in the, in the notes. Um, Pakistan versus Australia, first test review. Don't mention it again. We probably won't. That's probably the end of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And look, I'm going to be commentating on the Sheffield Shield next week, New South Wales VWA. So if you tune into the Shield, you'll hear me um, gibbering away. So, yeah, send me some messages and uh, back next week. Bye. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.